That's our new and latest ensemble made up of young adults. And this is their debut. Weren't they good? If you have your Bibles, would you open them this morning to Malachi chapter 4. This morning we're concluding a sermon series we started some weeks ago. Malachi speaking to the people of God of his day. Malachi speaking to the people of God of our day. And Malachi is reminding those in his day, he's reminding us today, that the Son of Righteousness is on his way. Malachi chapter 4, we're going to read verse 2, but we'll be looking at all six verses, so keep your Bibles open. Malachi writing in verse 2, But unto you that fear my name shall the Son of Righteousness arise with healing in his wings, and you shall go forth and grow up as calves of the staff, of the stall. Notice what he says, the Son of Righteousness. It's been wisely said that the darkest hour of the night is just before the rising of the sun. What is true in the physical world is true in the spiritual world. The Bible clearly teaches us repeatedly, o'er and o'er again, that our world is headed for full and complete darkness one day. It's already dim. We're already in the twilight. It appears already that the light is quickly going away. But there will come a day, ladies and gentlemen, when all the lights are going to go out. And when that occurs, the stage will be set for the coming of the Son of Righteousness. Not the S-U-N, the S-O-N, the Son of Righteousness. And he who is the light of the world will bring that light to a world that is in pitch black darkness. Now this time of darkness when our world is completely, fully engulfed in blindness and darkness is called the tribulation period a seven-year period in future history where the father of darkness, the father of the night, which is the devil, will have his way. He will have his sway. This world will be completely given over to him. I remind you that the devil has a plan for this world that one day he will take over in that tribulation period. His plan is threefold, to deceive, to destroy, and then to damn. Pretty simple strategy. You say, Pastor, you're pretty smart to come up with that. I didn't come up with it. Jesus did. 
Jesus is the one who said, the devil is a liar and a murderer. He deceives that he can destroy. He destroys that he can damn. That's what he's about. That is, that's his modus operandi. In the seven-year period of the tribulation, he will be allowed to have his hour of control. What is it going to be like when he has his way? Well, politically, when this tribulation comes, our world is going to fall under the control of a dictator. His name will be Antichrist. He'll be a composite picture of every dictator who has ever lived before him. He will be the most lawless, evil man who has ever lived. And he will be given control of the world. He will establish a new world order, a fourth Reich. He will do to the world what Hitler did to Nazi Germany. And he will demand that the world worship him as a god. Caesar worship will come again. Economically, in the tribulation period, when remember now, there is full and complete darkness. No man will be able to buy or sell. No man will be able to participate in the economy of the new world order unless you receive the mark of the beast, the mark of the Antichrist, a mark that says to one and all that you give your agreement and you give your allegiance to him. The mark of the beast is not about economics, though it is an economic mark. It's about will you bend your knee and bow your head and say to Antichrist, you are my Lord. And if you do, you'll receive his mark. And that mark will allow you to participate in the economy of the tribulation period, the new world order. If you do not receive the mark, you'll be declared an enemy of the state. And you'll be imprisoned and put to death. So darkness is coming politically. Darkness is coming economically. Darkness is coming militarily. Because when the Antichrist establishes the new world order, he will also establish a police state to regulate how he wants things done. And everybody will be forced to comply with his rules if you wish to live in his world. Now remember, we're just seeing the dimness now, but the darkness is coming quickly. Everything we're watching right now is moving us this direction. Things don't happen by accident, ladies and gentlemen. Things are following a path that have been planned out supernaturally. Darkness will come politically. Darkness will come economically. Darkness will come militarily. Darkness is going to come spiritually. Because in this tribulation period, this dictator called the Antichrist is going to be possessed by Satan himself. 
We've all heard of demonic possession, and by the way, it's real. Hollywood makes it laughable. Hollywood makes it sensational. But I'm telling you, demonic possession is very real. But the Antichrist is going to be devil-possessed. The devil is going to possess him. And the demons from the pit are going to be released to come to this world and terrorize and torment the human race so much that people would want to take their own life to try to get away from these creatures. But they can't take their life. Social darkness is coming. We're starting to see it. It's going to get worse. Mass murders, serial rapists, tragic drunkenness, violent robbery. It's only going to compound itself, multiply itself as the darkness intensifies and increases. Religiously, there's going to be darkness. Do you know a one-world religion's come into this world? When the Antichrist takes over the world politically, he will bring a cohort with him. Batman had a Robin. The Lone Ranger had a Tonto. The Antichrist is going to have a man called the False Prophet. And he will take all the religions of the world and combine them together into one. And all the religions of the world will point to the Antichrist for worship. Now, why do I tell you this? Because the Son of Righteousness is going to come back when our world is at the pinnacle, the climatic stage of this darkness. And we're starting to see it. We're going to continue to see it until it actually occurs. Does it frighten you? It should. Because, ladies and gentlemen, what we're seeing before our eyes is the end is near. When you see my shadow, I'm not far behind, am I? That's true, right? You see Jim Palmer's shadow, you know Jim Palmer's coming right behind the shadow. When we start seeing the shadows of this darkness, you can rest assured that the reality is right behind. And that's what Malachi is reminding the people of his day. That the Son of Righteousness is coming again. The light of the world is on His way. And when things look the worst, the best is coming. When things look like they're at an end, a new beginning is coming. When Satan looks like he's had his day, a new day is coming in Jesus Christ. Surely, suddenly, swiftly, Jesus is going to come again. And that's what Malachi is reminding the people then, and I'm reminding you today of. When Jesus comes again, he will establish a new world order of his own. It's called the Millennial Kingdom. And it will be filled with a thousand years of holiness and health and happiness. 
And when that's over, it'll start all over again. Three things I want you to see that Malachi says to the people of his day about the coming of the Son of Righteousness and what he's saying to you and I today. First of all, he talks about the retribution of the Lord's coming. The retribution of the Lord's coming. Look at verse 1, Malachi 4. For behold, the day is coming that shall burn as an oven, and all the arrogant, all the proud, all the haughty, all the them that do wickedly shall be like stubble. And the day that cometh shall burn them up, saith the Lord of hosts, and that it shall leave them neither root nor branch. Now, I want to help you understand something. Many times we look at things and we say God is judging now. This must be the judgment of God here. This must be the judgment of God there. Look up here at me. God is not judging anyone right now. That's yet to come. You say, but pastor, we see all of this suffering. We see all this dying. We see all of this wickedness. Surely God is judging these wicked people for the wicked things they do. Surely God is judging these these places for the wicked things they allow to happen. No, he's not. God is not judging yet, but he will. You say, well, pastor, what do we see? I'm glad you asked that question, I'll tell you. What we're seeing is the law of the harvest. You know, God is a God of laws. We should be a country of laws. We're not anymore. But God is a God of law, and his law is found in his word. And God's word clearly teaches that whatever you sow in this life, You are going to what? Reap. You throw apple seeds out, you're going to get an apple tree with apples. You throw pear seeds out, you're going to get a pear tree with pears. That just makes common sense. And whatever you put into your life, whatever you throw out of your life, that's what you one day are going to reap in your life and reap out of your life. Why do I say that? Because sometimes when we see People who practice sexual immorality get a sexual disease or they get AIDS or they, something happens to them. We say, oh, God's judging them. God's not judging them. He's just allowing what they have sowed to reap. You, you sow sexual immorality, you are going to reap a disease. You are going to reap an unwanted pregnancy. You are going to reap a bullet in the head when that person whose wife you're messing around with catches you. That's just the law of the harvest at work. We don't believe in the law of the harvest because we think God has to allow it to happen immediately. The law of the harvest doesn't have to happen tomorrow, next week or next month or next year, but it will happen. You can run on for a long time. But one day God Almighty is going to catch up with you. And so with the law of the harvest. You see an alcoholic person who drinks and they get cirrhosis of the liver. And they turn yellow. And we say, well, God's judging them. No, God's not judging them. That's the consequence of drinking alcohol. 
God has put in place a law that whatever you sow, you're going to reap. Some of us want to sow sin and then pray for crop failure. It doesn't work that way. And then there's another force at work. It's called the abuse of Satan. Many people today want to be on Satan's side. They want the greed that goes with him. They want the lust that goes with him. They want to practice occultic things, dark things. They want to be in league with the devil because they believe the devil can give them what they want. And listen, he will give you what you want for a period of time. But whatever he gives you, you've got to pay for one day. And what will he, what's his payday for what he gives you? Insanity, suicide, and hell. We're seeing a day of mass murders. It never ceases. We're so numb because it happens so often anymore. Most of these killers are probably crazed and into dark things. They're angry at the world. They want to hurt the world, and they do hurt the world. But what they chose to do catches up with them because Satan, who allows them to do that, then will turn against them. And he makes them go crazy, makes them take their own life, even though they've taken the life of others. So are you listening to me? There's coming a day of retribution where God is going to be the judge. But it's not right now. It's just the law of harvest right now. It's just the abuse of Satan right now. For those who want to play his music, they have to pay the price. But one day, God is going to do the judging. The Bible teaches three judgments that will come from God himself. Not the law of the harvest, not the abuse of Satan. God will make these judgments himself. The first is the Bema Seat judgment found in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Bema Seat is named after the Caesars of Rome, who when a victorious general would come back from a campaign, he would march his victorious army down the main center of Rome. And Caesar would stand on a platform much like this, and he would look at his victorious troops line up in formation. And then Caesar would give out commendations. He would give out rewards to the generals who successfully won victory in the campaigns. He would decorate soldiers who were particularly valiant or courage showed courage in the fighting. He would call them to the platform one by one so all of those people in Rome and all their peers could see. Do you know that one day God is going to judge the saints? Not for our salvation, that was taken care of right there. But you and I are going to stand before a bema seat in heaven. One day our heavenly commander-in-chief is going to stand on a platform and the people of God, the redeemed of all the ages, are going to stand side by side, shoulder by shoulder, in military formation, and there will be a billion of us or more. And the 
commander-in-chief will call our name. Keith Wilson, come. Jim Palmer, come. Sam Knight, come. Every single saint that's ever been born again will hear their name and they will come to the platform. And they will answer for their holiness. Did they live a holy life for the one who is the holy one? Those who did will be rewarded and those who didn't will be shamed. Did we serve him well? He gave us talents and he gave us gifts to serve him. Did we use those talents or gifts or did we just sit on our hands and do nothing? Those of us who served him well will be decorated. Those of us who did not, humiliated. But that judgment's coming. Every one of you here today who claim the name of Jesus, including your pastor, all of us will stand before him one day. That's called the beam of seat judgment. It's for the saints. But then there will be a judgment of God against the sinners of the tribulation period. These are men and women who have to make a choice what they're going to do. Will they choose the Antichrist or will they choose Jesus Christ? Those who choose the Antichrist, what will they get? Help me out. They get the mark. Those who choose Jesus Christ get the gallows. They'll be hung. Get the guillotine. Their head will be removed from their shoulders. Get the bullet. They'll be shot in the head. But they'll die for Jesus to be with Jesus. And then there'll be another judgment against the sinful. Of course, the Bible talks about those judgments in Revelation, the 21 judgments of God against those who reject him in the tribulation. And then the great white throne judgment is the last judgment. And that's where all of the sinners who have rejected Jesus, listen to me, all of those who have rejected Jesus, pagans and religious people, but they all said no to Jesus. They will come and stand before him one by one. And they will answer for why they rejected him. They'll get their day in court. You'll get to make all the... If you're here with the day without Jesus and you stand in that judgment, you'll get a chance to make all the excuses you want why you didn't do it. You can talk about the hypocrites if you want. You can talk about how you were confused if you want. You can talk about how you intended to do it, but... Time got away from you. You can talk about how you were confused. You didn't understand all this stuff. And every single excuse will be dismissed. And you will be pronounced guilty and separated from God for all eternity. That's called the great white throne judgment. So what Malachi is reminding us of, ladies and gentlemen, is not the law of the harvest. He's not reminding us of the abuses of Satan. He's saying, I want you to understand something. Saint and sinners. One day you're going to stand before the Son of Righteousness. And you're going to answer to Him. You might not answer to anybody else, but you'll answer to Him. On that day of judgment. And it will be a fiery day of judgment. When God judged the world the first time, he did it with water. The rainbow is his reminder he'd never do it again with water. The next time he'll do it with fire. 
Peter says the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night in which the heavens shall pass away with the great noise and the elements shall melt with the fervor and heat and the earth and everything in it shall be burned up. Paul says in flaming fire he shall take vengeance on them that know not God and those that obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Judgment is coming. That's what Malachi says. When you see the darkness at its pinnacle, look up, because the light is coming. The Son of Righteousness is on His way. I want you to see something else. I want you to see the restoration that will take place when that occurs. When Jesus comes again, it's not just to judge. It's to restore. Wouldn't it be wonderful if we could fix this world? Wouldn't it be wonderful if we could bring back paradise? You know, Adam and Eve lived in paradise. Wouldn't it be wonderful if we could live in paradise? Well, one day we shall. Because when the Son of Righteousness comes, when He completes His judgment of the saints, the Bema Seat judgment, when He finishes His judgment of the sinners who reject Him in the tribulation period, when he finishes his judgment of the great white throne, restoration is coming. Notice in verse 2 and 3, But unto you that fear my name shall the Son of Righteousness arise with healing in his wings. I want you to pay attention to that phrase. With healing in his wings. And you shall go forth and grow up as calves of the stall. You shall tread down the wicked. They shall be ashes under your soles of your feet. And today that I shall do this, says the Lord of hosts. What kind of restoration will the Son of Righteousness bring with him when he comes back to our world? Well, according to the prophets, he's going to restore health. How many of you would like to have perfect health? Slip up your hand. Pretty, pretty unanimous. If you don't have any health issues now, I promise you, you will. Okay? We were all young, weren't we, old folks? We were all young one time. But as you grow older, these bodies that were not made to live here forever begin to deteriorate. The Itis boys come on the scene. You know who they are? Art, Burton, Tendon. Some of you know all three of them. And when they move in, they don't move out. Don't let them in, because when they move in, they don't want to leave. They'll stay. But we're going to have perfect health one day. When the Son of Righteousness comes, He will restore health to the world. No cancer, no Parkinson's, no dementia, no cholera, no malaria, no leprosy, no cardiovascular. Nobody will ever be sick. There'll be no disease. Nobody will ever age. There'll be no affirmities of aging. There'll be no nursing homes. There'll be no hospitals. There'll be no hospice facilities. There'll be no dock in the box. None of that. Because health will come when He comes. Sometimes people ask, well, Pastor, if we're going to be perfect in our health, that means we're going to be perfect in our look. Will I look like I did when I was 21? I don't know. 
Whatever is perfect for you, that's what you get. Also, restoration will be understanding. We ask a lot of questions down here, and God never answers them. It's okay to ask the questions. Please don't misunderstand me. But if you're waiting for God to give you an answer, most of the time you're not going to get it. Most of us say, when I get to heaven, I'm going to take Jesus to the side, and I'm going to ask him all these questions because I want all the answers. May I say to you, you won't do it. You know why? Because when he comes again, not only will he bring restoration of health, he will bring restoration of understanding. In that day, nobody will ask him a question because we'll all already have his mind. If you had my mind, you wouldn't have to ask me questions about me. You would already know, right? We're going to have his mind. And there's no need to ask him any questions because we'll already know the answers. Why did you allow this to happen, Lord? Oh, I understand now. Why did you allow this to happen? Oh, I understand now, Lord. And we'll see that everything God does is right, best, always right and best. He'll bring with him liberty when he restores this world. Right now we have limitations. There'll be no limitations in that day. We will all be able to do whatever we want to do. There'll be no handicaps, no deformities, no disabilities. We will have bodies that will have the ability to do whatever we want them to do. Perfect liberty, perfect understanding, perfect health. We'll have perfect victory. Don't you get tired of losing down here? Up there, there'll be no losing. Victory in Jesus will be the song. And we have won through the blood of Jesus. We have won. That's what he's bringing with him, ladies and gentlemen. Paradise is coming. The kingdom of God is coming with the king. And our world will be restored. And then lastly, verses 4 through 6. Malachi closes. He says, I want you to understand judgment's coming. If you're in Christ, if you're a Christian, you're going to be judged for your holiness and your service. If you're outside of Christ, whether you be a pagan outside of Christ or a religionist outside of Christ, you're going to be judged too. You're going to be judged if you live in the tribulation period. Why did you accept the mark of the Antichrist and reject Jesus? If you die outside the tribulation period, you're, you're going to answer the question, why did you reject Jesus? It's all about rejection. Why did you reject him? And there will be a judgment for that. And then he'll come and restore our world. The lion will lay down with the lamb. The swords and the spears will be turned into plowshares. Perfection will come to our world because the one who is perfect will rule it. And then in verse 4 through 6, we have, what is our response going to be? In verse 4, Malachi closes by saying, Remember you the law of Moses. He was a servant of God, and he was commanded of, of the Lord to go to Horeb for all of Israel and to obey the statutes and judgments. 
And behold, before the Son of Righteousness comes, Elijah the prophet will come. He will come before that great and dreadful day of the Lord. He shall turn the heart of the fathers to the children, the heart of the children to their fathers, lest I come and smite the earth with a curse. What should our response be? If Jesus is coming again, if the Son of Righteousness is about to enter into a world that's completely lights out and in total darkness, what should our response be as we see all of this happening before our very eyes? Well, first of all, we need to remember God's Word. Do you notice in verse 4, Malachi says, Remember you the law of Moses? Then he makes mention of the statutes and judgments at the last part of verse 4. We should know the Word of God and spend time with the God of the Word as we see the coming of the Lord Jesus. We should spend time in the Word. We need to know the statutes. We need to know the judgments. We need to know the laws. And we need to know the one who gave it to us. It's interesting that Horeb is mentioned there in regard to Moses. Do you know that Horeb was Moses' holy place? Wherever, whenever Moses wanted to get alone with God, he went to Horeb. Horeb was his prayer closet. Horeb was his place where he met God and God met him. He received his call to go at Horeb. The blood covenant was established at Horeb. Water came out of the rock at Horeb. He interceded for the wicked at Horeb. He was taught the word of God at Horeb. May I ask you a question? Do you have a place that you go that's your holy place? A place that you get alone with God every single day and you commune with Him through His word and He communes with you as you pray. Everybody ought to have a place they call holy ground where you and God get together. Nobody else comes into that place where God speaks to you, you speak to Him. You know Him and He knows you. Do you have that place? If not, you need to get it. I had a man one time tell me, he said, Pastor, I've got a place like that. I said, where's it at? He said, the bathroom. <laughs> said, that's the only place I can go. Nobody bugs me. I don't know where yours is, but you need to have one. I need to have one. Moses had one. And as we see the darkness coming, we better be in communion with the light. And then also we need to understand something else. We need to repent of sin. Because notice in verse 5, he talks about Elijah the prophet. Many people in Malachi's day believed that before Jesus came, Elijah would come back and, uh, and introduce him. They were looking for the coming of Elijah. That's when John the Baptist came. Many people thought John was Elijah. Elijah resurrected from the dead, if you will. But what was the message of Elijah? What was the message of John the Baptist? It was a message of repentance. Repent, for the kingdom of God is here. 
Now, if you're going to have a kingdom, you've got to have a what? A king. And so they were talking about the coming of the Lord. And what Malachi is saying is that as the darkness intensifies and increases, not only should we be in communion with the light of the world and he with us, we need to repent of our sin. And there will be voices that will be calling us to repentance if we'll listen. I know we don't preach on repentance anymore. But Jesus said, lest you repent, you'll perish. Salvation is not just faith in Christ. It includes repentance of sin. Faith and repentance are the flip side of the same coin. Are you listening to me? If I'm going to turn from Sam and look this way, that's called repentance. I'm, I'm headed this way, but I'm going to repent now, and I'm going to turn and go this way. That's what faith is. Repentance is you turn from. Faith is you turn to. It's impossible to turn to without turning from, right? It's impossible to turn from and not turn to. And preachers make things so confusing. Pastor, how can a man be saved? Repent of his sin and put his faith in Christ. It's one and the same. You can't do one without doing the other. Before Jesus comes, he's going to put Elijah-type figures and John the Baptist-type figures to preach the gospel to the world as we close. In Revelation, we learn that 144,000 Jewish evangelists are going to be sent out across the world in that seven-year period of total darkness, and they're going to preach the light of the world. They're going to preach Jesus to all the Gentile nations. They'll use the gift of tongues. Pastor, you believe there's a gift of tongues? Absolutely. And they'll have it. You know what the gift of tongues is? The ability to speak any language known in this world in a way that the people of that language can understand it. And you were never taught it. That's what it is. It isn't some magical, mystical bumbling or mumbling. It's the ability to go anywhere in the world and speak the language of the people, and share with them the gospel. And these 144,000 Billy Graham types will sweep the world and preach to every single people, group, and nation there is. They will be the Elijahs. And then two witnesses God will send to Israel, the nation of Israel, His nation. Two witnesses will go to Jerusalem, the capital city, and they will preach to the Jewish people, the one you crucified was the Messiah. And he's on his way. And then to top it all off, the last Elijah that will speak will be an angel. Angels have never preached the gospel because they don't know what it is to be saved. They can't be saved. But things are going to get so dark and so difficult and so dangerous that God in His grace and mercy will tell the world one more time of His love and His salvation. And He will commission an angel to do it. One angel will stand, the Bible says, at one of the places of the corners of the world and He'll preach the entire gospel to the entire world. Everybody will hear.
And then everything will fall apart. Judgment will come. And that's the message. If all of this is coming, what's your response? You better have a communion with Jesus. And you better repent of your sin. It's interesting that in Revelation 22, Jesus is called the bright and morning star. You know what the bright and morning star is? Listen to me. It's the last star that appears before the sun comes up. He will be the last star before he comes back. I don't know if you like history, but in World War II, the Allies had about 400,000 troops at Dunkirk that were about to be slaughtered by the Nazis. And Winston Churchill ordered a mass exodus of British boats to sail across the English Channel and load those soldier boys up. I mean everything from rowboats to massive ships crossed the Atlantic, or excuse me, crossed the English Channel and loaded up as many soldiers as they could and took them back to England. Most of the 400,000 lived to fight again. Dunkirk was about the evacuation. And then, about four years later, D-Day was about the landing. Evacuate the British soldiers, the Allied soldiers, for safety. D-Day was about Judgment Day. The Nazis were now going to get paid back for what they did. The rapture of the church is Dunkirk. We're gone. And then we'll come back at D-Day when Jesus brings his judgment. God help you go with Dunkirk that you can come back at D-Day. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed.